the man who could pull a trigger when it was necessary. I'm ready, said Michael, entering the kitchen. Emma turned around. Her right hand moved a stray hair above one eyebrow. Smoke from a cigarette lodged between two long fingers made her wince, as if she couldn't see properly. She stubbed it out, breaking the unburned length. Don't know why I bother, she said languidly. I thought these things were meant to calm the nerves. She nodded towards the open pack by the Sunday Times on the table. All I feel is seasick. Waste of time and money. Should have had a stiff drink. But I thought it's far too early for a slug of gin. Didn't want the headache. Damn thing always comes when I booze before lunchtime. She paused to watch him shrug on his crumby overcoat. His movements were slow and deliberate, irrevocable. One after the other, he pushed the buttons through the eyes. Actually, there's no gin left, she said. Finished the bottle last night. Her matey fretting was just a performance. They both knew it. She wasn't worried about the job, not as such. Her only concern was that her husband's nerve might fail that he might hesitate. The banter was just a kind of loving shove towards the door, urging him to get the necessary over and done with for everyone's sake. Don't worry, he said, pocketing his trembling hands. I'm ready. Their eyes met across the long breakfast table. Emma's outline was dark against the windows above the sink, but Michael knew well the shades of feeling in that fine-boned face the deep hollows that held her tortured gaze, the wide, half-open mouth. He'd watched the changes for thirty-five years. She'd been happy once, like him. Just think of Jenny, she blurted out. I will. Keep her face in mind. Michael nodded. She deserved a better life. Emma reached for the cigarettes, stamped on the pedal bin, and dropped the packet in the hole as the lid opened. They were silent. Husband with his hands in his pockets, wife with her back to him, her shoulders juddering, her breathing like a kind of suppressed insane laughter. She snatched some kitchen towel to wipe her face. When she'd mopped up the spilled emotion, her voice was quiet and assured. People bring dogs to the surgery. They'd bitten someone. I mean the dog, not the owner. And I put it down. Quickly and painlessly. I have to, because it might bite again. You can't talk to a crossbreed. You can't bring a pit bull round with a warning. There's something wrong with their minds. The thing has to go down. And you know, when it's lying there on the table, no longer dangerous, it looks peaceful. Simply asleep, grateful that it's all over. No more chains around the neck, no more bloody postman to ruin its life. Emma turned from the window and walked the length of the beamed room to Michael. They faced each other, staring hard, their hands locked. Peter is not a good man, Michael. I know. Before they locked him up, he was mouthing off on the radio about morality. Darling, I remember. He went to prison for the wrong reason. Yes, darling.
Michael seemed to stumble out of the kitchen into a memory. He saw Jenny after the accident, lying on her back in the orchestra pit. He saw again the splayed feet of his fallen angel, the failed ballerina. Don't move her. Just wait for the ambulance. Bright stage lights flashed off the brass instruments as the players in rumpled black grouped to stare at the crippled swan. He never cared for her. Emma was angling her head, coming closer to Michael, drawing him back to the matter in hand. And yet he got all the sympathy and praise. Emma, darling, I don't need reminding. You do. Over and again. She kissed him violently, as if she might suck the pain once and for all out of his life. You do. Because you're a good man who'd never harm a fly.